we live in a world where people don't know the biblical reason why Jesus Christ came to earth. Only a few understand the biblical gospel or the need of that gospel. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 1. John, uh, John chapter 1. Uh, the sermon is entitled, A Faithful Witness of Christ. A Faithful Witness of Christ. And we will look into the life of John, uh, John the, the Baptist. Not, um, we will not dive in, in his whole life, but rather his, um, his life as a witness of Christ. Okay? He lived the life and served the Lord and even gave his life for, for proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the, time of, uh, in the time when Jesus Christ was around. And um, he's a great man of God, and he was a faithful witness of Christ. And that's our title for, for tonight, a faithful witness of Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, in John chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 29 to 34, 29 to 34. And if you're there, you can follow along with me as I read verses 29 to 34. Verse 29, the word of God says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming in unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After he me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he, he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come bapti- baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Back in 2013, I think that's the, uh, our, the, the current uh, Pope right now, that's when the, his... First, he was first inaugurated as a, the, the Pope of, of the Roman Catholic. Back in 2013, the Pope gave his first message during the Eastern celebration. And of course, millions have attended. Millions also have read his message. However, the Pope never presented the gospel. That Christ died for our sins... And whosoever believes in Christ, in Jesus Christ, will have ever, everlasting life. And that's very crucial in our message that we, we are giving to the unsaved. I, uh, allow me to read some of the paragraphs. It's actually in Vatican.va, uh, not .ca, but Vatican.va, uh, these, these paragraphs. And I think it will be flashed on, on the screen as well. What a joy it is for me to announce I, I'm quoting uh, the words of uh, the Pope, End quote, uh, and I quote, What a joy it is for me to announce this message. Christ is risen. 
I would like it to go out to every house and every family, especially where the suffering is greatest, in hospitals, in prisons, and so on. Most of all, I would like it to enter every heart, for it is there that God wants to sow this good news. Jesus is risen. There is hope for you, and you are no longer in the power of sin, of evil. Love has triumphed, and mercy has been victorious. The mercy of God always triumphs. We too, like the women who were Jesus' disciples, who went to the tomb and found it empty, may wonder what this event means. What does it mean that Jesus is risen? It means that the love of God is stronger than evil and death itself. It means that the love of God can transform our lives and let those desert places in our hearts bloom. The love of God can do this. Dear brothers and sisters, Christ died and rose once and for all and for everyone, but the power of resurrection This Passover from slavery to evil to the freedom of goodness must be accomplished in every age, in our concrete existence, in our everyday lives, end quote. So if you look that, it seems that is very, you know, know, a good message, right? It's uh, very encouraging and something like that. But he made it sound that as if Jesus' resurrection freed everyone from the bondage of sin without a person's acknowledgement of his, of his or her sins and that the need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, we know that Jesus r- rose from the dead. We, 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 we understand that. But the gospel in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul is really clear to that, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So you see, Christ, um, you know, I'm, I'm making this kind of a, um, an, an example not to uh, publicize or to, to put down the person. I'm not saying that at all. But my point is this. We live in a world when, uh, when we live in a world where people don't know the biblical reason why Jesus Christ came to earth. Only if you understand the biblical gospel or the need of that gospel. A non-retributive and loving God is emphasized. You know, we talked about this in the Sunday school even earlier that a lot of people would just emphasize that God is love. And there's a lot of social medias and also um, prominent uh, TV show hosts that promote this kind of idea that God is love, uh, that God is non-retributive, He is a loving God, no more sinners because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You know, for many, a message about the holy God, a message about a just God is offensive. Sin and hell are offensive. And all we need is love and peace. And therefore, I kind of think of that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. The Word of God says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I'm not here saying that I'm, I'm against with, with love and peace because the Bible says that God is love. That is very true. And that Jesus is the prince of peace. But if we were not sinners, then we don't need a savior. If God is not absolutely holy and just, then we don't need Christ to satisfy the wrath of God against our sins. If God is only loving, then we don't need to fear his judgment. And mind you, by the way, that is soon to come. And to those who are not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, it's not a, a you know, a kind of a scary tactics, but it will happen. And the Bible says it clearly, the time will come that God will judge the unrighteous and the wicked. Um, and so you see, there's a problem that we can see around us. Social medias, television, everywhere. Um, many people have twisted ideas about who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross of Calvary. And so this would give us an alarming situation, and hence, we as we Christians, we as Christians need to step up. You know, get out from our comfort zones and be faithful witnesses for Christ. John the Baptist, in our passage, he was a faithful witness. He said in verse 15, and I read here in verse 15, in the same chapter, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. He also added in verse 29 in our passage, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Contrary to the ideas and the opinions of many, John preached that we are all sinners. And we, we are all sinners. And that we need the Savior to take away our sins. And John pointed out to people that Jesus was that Savior, and we should do it too. We are God's ambassador, right? We are God's witnesses also. When we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will become soul winners. Whether you like it or not, that's our responsibility as a Christian. And it's not just a duty, but it is, should be our compelling motive why we should and we must Share the gospel to the lost, whether at workplace, whether wherever we are. And so for us to be faithful witness, we need to tell people who really Jesus is. Right? What, who he is and what he has done for us in the cross of Calvary. But before, of course, we continue, let, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you. Lord, for those who, have, who had come, I ask their Father that you would speak into our hearts. Those also who are watching online, I ask that you would speak into their hearts as well. And may their Father help us to be faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, may you give us strength. Please remove the fear in our 
hearts grab every opportunity that we can get in order to be a faithful witness of you. And so, Father, speak into our hearts, be with our midst, in Christ's name, amen. Now, first here, in verse 29, uh, we need to, we need, as we, in order for us to be a faithful witness, we need to tell people who really Jesus is. Now, first in verse 29 here, we need to tell people that Jesus Christ is the only one they need to have their sins forgiven. He is the only one they need to have their sins forgiven. Look in verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, like that um, word itself, behold, to look, to gaze, to not just to, to look in an instant, but actually, it, that word gives us idea to gaze, to, to really emphasize the person, to behold him, to look unto him face to face, to know him uh, dearly. Right? And it's mentioned in the book itself 27 times. And, and, you know, to mention that word 27 times, it's very precious. It's very, very important. Look at him. And it's actually good because during the time of the ministry of John the Baptist, a lot of people would tell that, he, you know, is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? And many people tell him who he was. But John was redirecting the attention of people to the only one that can have their sins forgiven, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to behold him, not to behold John the Baptist, but to behold the only one, Jesus Christ, who can take their sins, uh, take away their sins. You know, when people draw their attention to John the Baptist, that's what he did. John directed their attention to the one who is greater than himself. And he mentioned that in the passage. The one who is the main character of the scene. And I like that how John the Baptist also mentioned in chapter 3, verse 30, he said, he must increase. It means Jesus Christ must increase, but I must decrease. So for us, we need to tell people that way that they need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when, when Spurgeon, if you know his story, in his autobiography, he was 15 years old. When, when he was 15 years old, he read of many solid Puritan books to pre, uh, that presented the gospel, but it didn't get through to him. He agonized over his sins so much that if a 15-year-old did this today, we'd consider him mentally unbalanced. And that's how he struggled you know, his salvation during that time. Then uh, one snowy day, Spurgeon could not get to his normal church, so he turned down the side the street and came to a small primitive Methodist chapel. And there were about 12 to 15 people there that day. The minister didn't make it because of the snow, because of the snow. So a man, a lay, layman, 
from the church went into the pulpit and began to preach on Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, which reads, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the world. He began and said, My dear friends, and this is the lay, lay, layman, My dear friends, this is very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking doesn't take a deal of pain. It is not lifting your foot or your fingers. It is just look. Well, a man need not to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not to be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look, even a child can look. Then he pointed out that the text says, Look unto me, not to yourself. And he went on for about 10 minutes or so, telling everyone who Christ was that they were to look to. He seemed to be at the end of his uh, tether when he looked directly at young Spurgeon, and said, young man, you look very miserable, and you always will be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. And Spurgeon said that he, made, he had been waiting for, uh, to do 50 things, but that word look cleared away the clouds. He looked to Christ and the boy, Spurgeon, who would go on to become the greatest preacher of the 19th century, was saved. John the Baptist draw the attention of the people, of the crowd, of the Jews during that time, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Yeah, if you notice here, he said, Behold, he is the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, the Jews, when, you know, the Jews knew very well what a Lamb was because they have done many sacrifices, Right? starting from the time of Moses until the very day that they were in the ministry of Jesus Christ, they were still doing that. They had to do the sacrifice every day until the Lamb of God, that is Jesus Christ, shall come. The blood, uh, the blood of the animals was not intended to take away the sins of men because that's not the plan and the will of God, the ways of God. In Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 4, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls, of goats, should take away sins. Jesus Christ is not a lamb, but he is the lamb. It is, it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross can our sins be forgiven. But not, also, not only that, he is the lamb, but the Bible says he is the lamb of God. No one provided that lamb except God himself. Why? Because none of us can provide that perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God, right? 
It is the only God who can provide that. And that's why it is said, the Lamb of God, since no one in this world can provide a perfect sacrifice, God willingly, He willingly gave His only begotten Son. No one forced Him. And that's a good thing. You know, a, 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 a father or a mother would ask, can you give your son or your daughter to, be, to someone? Really? But God did. God did. Because He doesn't want everyone that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He willingly gave it. In John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But notice also, not just the Lamb of God, but He is the Lamb of God, doesn't stop there, which taketh away the sin of the world. No other person, religion, nor the works of men in this world can take away the sin of the world, but only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus Christ trampled all religions of men when he said, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a very exclusive salvation, right? When Jesus Christ said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And notice here, sin, the Bible says, which taketh away the sin of the world. Sin is singular, not sins. Which means it speaks about all human rebellion against God. Jesus will not just deal with the symptoms, but he will deal the disease. Not only Jesus did take away our individual sins, but he also did take away the inherited sin of Adam our sinful nature. But let me hasten to say this, though, that His work on the cross of Calvary can only be applied to the person that trusted His name. Yes, He died for all, but it is only limited to those who accepted, who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as His personal Savior. Jesus Christ invites all Thus, the phrase of the world, and he invites all to come to the feast that he has prepared. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. John said to the people back then, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the second here, not only we need to peep to say to the people, to tell the people that it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who can take their sins, take away their sins forgiven. But we need to tell that though Jesus Christ is man, he is also the eternal God. And this is very crucial as, as when the person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only he believed the Savior, 
Not only he believed that he can, he can be washed in the sins, but he needs to know and he must acknowledge that Christ is the very God himself. Christ is the very God himself. Now in, in verse 30, it's, it gives us a glimpse here. The, the, um, you know, it reinforced the two doctrines that we, 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 um, we believe. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. So there's a kind of a play of words there. But this verse reinforced two things. Number one, his humanity. And John said that he was, Jesus Christ was after him. Because indeed, John is six months older, six months older than Jesus Christ. And therefore gives us the idea that indeed, Jesus Christ was born in the flesh. Not just something, a spirit, okay? He, he did not just appear in, in an instance, but he was born as we are, right? But of course, in a virgin, in a miraculous way, through a virgin birth. So Jesus' humanity, Jesus was indeed born after John. And also the second one, his divinity. And Jesus indeed existed before John, right? So he was, um, you know, Christ came after John, but he was before John and talking about his divinity because Jesus Christ boldly stated his truth in the front of the Jews. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was I am. I am. John 1, 1, also we need to, you know, connect this truth. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, Look at that. And the word was God. And we go and read down in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you see, with Jesus being eternally preexistent, it, it then stands that he is above all. And therefore, John here even said, which is preferred before me. He is above all. He is not bound in time. No one is above him because he created everything. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So this is the kind of message that we need to tell people. Not only that we would tell them that Jesus Christ is the, he is the only one they need to have their sins forgiven, but also though he is a hum, he's human, yes, he's man, but he is eternally he is the very God, and He eternally existed before time. But in, in the last year, in the third, we need to tell people that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I, I would like to mention things in verses 31 to 33, but before the sake of time, in verse 34, 
It says here, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. You know, John's, John the Baptist's life was cut short. He was beheaded, right? He died as a martyr. He was beheaded. But you know, even though his life is short, and let's, I forgot how many years he, he, um, he lived. But you see, John fulfilled the purpose of his life. That's his purpose, to be the voice in the wilderness, to call out people to repentance, to draw the attention of men to the one who is the Lamb of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled his purpose by witnessing that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, Son of God is a title that unambiguously claims deity. When a person said that he's a son of men, he is saying that he is God, basically. Right? Um, if you know this, uh, many of you know that there's like someone in, in the Philippines even that he is calling himself the son of God. That's blasphemy, really blasphemy. I don't know uh, what would be the, the, uh, the punishment or the judgment of God in his life, but really that's, that's, that's blasphemy. No one should call himself the Son of God because there's the only one, Son of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the title Messiah, which is the anointed, also in Greek, it, it, is, it means Christ, right? Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one. It did not imply uh, deity to many who heard, it, who heard it in Jesus' day. And they thought, they thought only the Messiah as a political deliverer, um, uh, uh, you know, a political king, if you will. And that's why when Jesus Christ, and when they knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, they were very happy. Because now here's the deliverer that, they, that Jesus Christ will deliver them from the bondage of not their sin, but from the tyranny of Rome, from the bondage and slavery the, uh, in the power of Rome. But they're not looking for the one who can take away their sins. You know, in the time of Jesus Christ, Jesus' identity was the first subject to doubt. First by the Jews. In chapter uh, 6 of John chapter 6, verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And if you go on into those verses, they actually stop listening to the Lord Jesus Christ because for them, it seems like Jesus Christ is telling to them that he is God. But that's actually the, it's not, it's not that God is robbing the, uh, robbing the title of, of God, but He is indeed God. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He was also been doubted by His disciples. Um, you're there in the book of John. Let's go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And I will, be, I will read verses 24 to 29. 
But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The only disciples, therefore, said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the door, the door, uh, doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So you see, his identity was, was also endowed by one of his disciples. But not only that, by John the Baptist himself. You know, um, it is actually good that the... the uh, the Bible never hides, you know, the weaknesses of, of men. There are a lot of good people that they have weaknesses too. And therefore, that we can relate to them that we are not, you know, bulletproof, if you will, with the weak weaknesses that we have. You know, sometimes we can be down in our faith in Christ, right? Our, our faith sometimes varies along the way. Um, in verse 31, let's go back into our text. He said here twice, actually, in verse 31, 33, I knew him not. Because it's very, it's, it's actually true. Um, although they were, you know, they're family related, if you will, because Elizabeth, and the, the mother of, of John and Mary were cousins. Okay, they were cousins. So basically they were, what, cousins as well? Of course, I'm not sure. Um, John had no personal knowledge of Jesus Christ till he, had, he saw him come to his baptism. Now there's an obvious reason here. John spent time, a lot of his time, in the wilderness in solitude while Jesus spent his time in Nazareth when he was growing up. Um, Matthew chapter 11. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist was in prison. And, and um, he said something here in this passage, 11, 1 to 6. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his disciples, his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John, that's John the Baptist, had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go, ye, uh, go and show John 
again, those things which you do hear and see. Now, he didn't explain himself, but this is what Jesus Christ said. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Um, You know, in that verse, in verse 5, Jesus Christ was telling John the Baptist that he fulfilled what the prophets in the Old Testament said, that the blinds receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf are here, uh, uh, deaf heard, and the dead are raised up. Those were the things that the Messiah, uh, or the proclamation of the prophets back then in the Old Testament, that that's the Savior, the Messiah, would do. And so, here, even in the life of John the Baptist, Jesus' identity was, was doubted. But also in the text, let's go back in the text, the Bible says that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Where can we say, see that? Well, in John's testimony in verses 32 and 34. In John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a, like a dove, and it abode upon him. In verse 34, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Not only that, if you go more onto the passages in the letters of the Apostle Paul and the general epistles as well, those the apostles themselves testify that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only that, throughout the history of the church, believers also testifying, they have testimony that indeed Jesus is the Son of God. It is very interesting to just to take note that in, in the fourth gospel, in the gospel of John, we can find just seven. Seven who bear witness to Christ's deity. Majority of them, they doubted the, the, the person of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, he was a faithful witness. Nathaniel, he was a faithful witness. Peter, in John chapter 6, was a faithful witness. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, he tells to people that he is the Son of God. Martha, in in. In John chapter 11, Thomas, of course, the one that we read in John chapter 20. And, of course, the writer of the book, which is John, John the apostle uh, of Jesus Christ, in John chapter 20. And all of them, seven of them, telling that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now, I, w- I want to bring this home as I close and by answering the question, what is the significance of this sermon in my life and in your life? You know, earlier I declare an appeal to everyone. For us, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, as Christians, we need to step up to get out of our comfort zone and be a faithful to Christ, faithful witnesses to Christ. Now the question would be, are you faithful? Are you a faithful witness of Christ? Can you say to the Lord, Lord, I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful witness to you. You know, our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross should compel us to witness him faithfully. 
There's nothing greater, um, you know, motivation than that. Just to think that we're no longer going to hell. When we die, we'll go to His presence. And that's no, that's, you know, there's no other, no, you know, the, no good news can you compare that into the good news that Jesus Christ gave to us. Right? We're no longer condemned in hell, but we are going with him. And John was faithful in the task as God's appointed witness to the truth. You know, I encourage everyone to dedicate you know, your time to know Jesus Christ well in your life. As I mentioned earlier, right, in order for you to be a faithful witness, you and I, you need, you, you, you need to know Jesus Christ well. Study the Bible. Who is Jesus really in your life? And that you can communicate that well, that message to others. The Apostle Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, knowing that we are saved, that is actually good. You know, we are thankful to Jesus Christ. But our Christianity doesn't stop there. God wants us to know Him better every single day. And that's why we are, we are told in this pulpit and every day that we need to study the Bible. We need to know the Lord Jesus Christ well. Not only that, I encourage everyone to dedicate your time to pray for laborers. As you know, Canada, there's not much of churches. Bless also the laborers in the harvest field. And so we need to be in prayer as well. 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of, uh, of the, of the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And hopefully when we pray for laborers, you would include yourself as a laborer, right? You know, Lord, send them, not me. Now, don't do that. But Lord, send laborers. If it's so that you will send me as well as your labor, so be it. Okay, pray for laborers. Not only that, Dedicate your money, you know, some of your money, of course, to missions. God is not saying that, you know, sell all your lands, all your, liquidate all your assets and get, give to missions. I'm not saying that at all. And God doesn't even say, you know, God loveth a cheerful giver, right? Um, I believe one of the reasons God enabled us to have jobs and given that whenever... Um, uh, our jobs, we have cash flow as well in our lives that we can give for the furtherance of the gospel. Not only that, dedicate, also I encourage everyone to dedicate your time, strength, by participating in soul-winning ministry. Yes, it is given that wherever we are, we should find opportunities to share the gospel with our friends, neighbors, and co-workers. And this is already given and expected of us as Christians. Saturday, we have, as a church, 
we go out and flyering and also door knocking. And this is our opportunity as a church to reach the city of Syria. And so please come. I encourage you to come and help us flyering and door knocking if you're able. And so let us bow our heads. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.